0: Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 191, Boniface the Eighth. Dear brothers and sisters, annuncio vobis. Annuncio vobis. Annuncio vobis gaudium magnum. Gaudium magnum. Gaudium magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's Pope we've met several times already, but just to introduce him, let's start with a little Dante. In the 19th canto of the Inferno, Pope Nicholas III, who Dante puts in hell for nepotism, cries out to the pilgrims passing by his place of torment, Dost thou stand there already? Dost thou stand there already, Boniface? By many years the record lied to me. Art thou so early satiate with that wealth, for which thou didst not fear to take by fraud the beautiful lady and then work her woe? So the Boniface that's expected at that time in hell by Dante is today's Pope, Pope Boniface VIII. And hopefully by the end of the episode, we can figure out why Dante at least hated him so much. So Boniface VIII was born Benedetto Caetani sometime around 1235 in the papal town of Agnani, southeast of Rome. He was probably related to the great Segni family that we've already met several times in this podcast. And he got his start in the church when his uncle was appointed the bishop of Todi in Umbria. And he moved there to serve in the government of that city. He probably spent some time there studying canon law, though he may have gone to Bologna to do so. He became involved in the papal curia initially as a secretary and went with several cardinals that we've already met on their trips around Europe. He was first in the employ of Cardinal Simon de Brie, who would later become Pope Martin IV, and he went with him to Paris in 1264. And then he traveled with Cardinal Ottobono Fieschi, who would later become Pope Adrian V, to England to help negotiate uh, the end of the civil war there. And then when his boss became Pope Martin IV, he appointed Benedetto the Cardinal Deacon of San Nicola in Carcere in April 12, 1281. As cardinal, Benedetto was sent by the Pope to Charles I of Anjou in Sicily to try and stop him from challenging Pedro of Aragon to a duel. This was the start of a long-standing relationship with the Angevin cause and a reputation of being very pro-French although he's originally from Italy, cardinal. In 1291, he was appointed the cardinal priest of San Martino Monti and began to take interest in consolidating territory and power in Rome on behalf of his family. He got his nephews appointed to influential positions and brought a lot of property, which would lead to his future strength. But consolidating power often creates enemies, and for Benedetto, he began to incur the distrust and outright rivalry of the powerful Colonna family, the favorites of Pope Nicholas IV. When Pope Nicholas IV died, the conclave took two full years and Benedetto supported the election of Pope St. Celestine V in 1294. But his papacy was so brief that we might skip over it except for a fairly persistent rumor that hangs around Celestine's resignation. The rumor was that Cardinal Benedetto spent a lot of time and energy trying to get Celestine to resign, even to the point of whispering it to the Pope when he was asleep. Now, Most historians today don't think this really happened, though it is possible that Pope Celestine consulted Cardinal Benedetto on the validity of resigning under canon law. Regardless of how it happened, in 1294, Celestine resigned, and the new conclave began in Naples. Unlike the previous one, it only took one day. On Christmas Eve 1294, the cardinals elected Cardinal Benedetto Pope after only three ballots. He took the name Boniface VIII, and he got to work right away. So his first priority was to secure his own legitimacy. He canceled all the acts of Celestine, except the new cardinals that Celestine created, and then he sought out Celestine and put him in prison. He returned to Rome pretty quickly on January 1st of 1295, and he began to reshuffle the Curia there. He fired everyone and replaced everyone with people loyal to himself. He was known to be a no-nonsense, harsh, and demanding administrator one who worked extremely hard with a lot of energy, yet who suffered regularly health-wise from kidney stones and exhaustion. When Boniface entered Rome to be crowned Pope, his horse was led by Charles II of Naples, the Angevin king who still maintained a claim to Sicily. Boniface supported this claim and had been a long-time defender of the Angevins, and so one of his first priorities was to try and get Charles back in charge of Sicily. This didn't work out. Charles ended up settling with the Aragonese ruler of Sicily, James II. Boniface turned to Charles for help to try and improve papal control over Tuscany. In the past, a segment of the Guelph faction in Tuscany had been pretty sympathetic to the Angevin family, and it helped Charles I take control of the region. And if you remember, the Guelphs were the pro-papal faction, and their enemies were the Ghibellines, who were the pro-imperial faction. But the Angevin activity caused a divide in the Guelph cause between the black Guelphs who opposed them and the white Guelphs. Pope Boniface wanted to crack down on the Black Guelphs, who were causing trouble, and so he asked Charles' son-in-law, Charles of Valois, to intervene. His response was harsh and brutal, and led to the exile of all the leading Black Guelphs from the city of Florence, including the famous Dante Alighieri, who would never return to his home city. Needless to say, Tuscany was not a fan of Pope Boniface. Pope Boniface was very keen on asserting papal primacy, both in Italy and around Europe, but all his attempts seemed to fall flat. Some of the attempts were successful, but many ended in failure. One partial success was his declaration of the first ever jubilee year in 1300. Starting a tradition which carries on to today, Pope Boniface offered a plenary indulgence to any pilgrims coming to Rome during the year 1300. The crowds he drew were massive, with hundreds of thousands of pilgrims from across the world in Rome all year long. But the crush of pilgrims was so great that one day when thousands of them were crossing the Tiber to go to St. Peter's Basilica, the weight of the crowd caused the bridge they were standing on to collapse and thousands of people died. Despite the tragedy, the Jubilee was a tremendous success with all of Europe coming to Rome, visiting with the Pope and seeking the spiritual blessings of the successor of St. Peter. And it helped the city of Rome itself with this massive influx of pilgrim revenue to help repair dilapidated structures and buildings. Boniface tried to influence the succession of the Kingdom of Hungary and Scotland, but both of those attempts really didn't pan out. So instead, we're going to turn to his biggest conflict with his papacy, which is going to be the driving focus of our narrative going forward, which is his conflict with the King of France. And it was probably the worst of the bunch and will have ramifications long after his death. The King of France, Philip the Fair, decided that he was going to tax church property to help pay for his military endeavors. The Pope said no, only the Pope can tax the church, and he published a bull that, to that effect in 1296. It was not a gently worded document. He wrote, Antiquity teaches us that laymen are in a high degree hostile to the clergy, a fact which is also made clear by the experiences of the present times. Inasmuch as, not content with their own bounds, they strive after what is forbidden and loose the reins in pursuit of what is unlawful. He continues that laity cannot touch or dare to take what belongs to the church. And he concludes, let no man at all, then, infringe this page of our constitution, prohibit or decree, or with rash, daring act counter to it. But if anyone should presume to act, shall know that he is about to incur the indignation of Almighty God and of his blessed apostles Peter and Paul. So King Philip wasn't happy. He, he decided to prohibit the export of any products or money from France to Italy, and he froze the transfer of assets from French banks to the papacy. And this prompted another response from Boniface, who railed against the French king in another papal bull. But in the end, Boniface gave in and backed down from the conflict. He had his own problems at home. The two Colonna cardinals, Colonna's, if you remember, the rival family to Pope Boniface, The two Colonna Colonna Cardinals turned the family rivalry from cold to hot by calling on scholars to see if Boniface's election as Pope was illegitimate, and then by hiring someone to rob Pope Boniface of several hundreds of thousands of ducats of his own personal money. They eventually gave it back, but it still stood as this defiant act against the Pope. So once he had calmed things down with France, Boniface attacked the Colonnas with an army and forced them to a humiliating public confession of their guilt in September of 1298. But it didn't make them, him any friends. Moving forward, Pope Boniface worked hard to try and negotiate with the King of France, and he eventually helped to bring about a peace between the King of France and the King of England. And then he tried to soften the conflict between himself and France even more by canonizing King Philip's predecessor, St. Louis the IX, in 1297. But all that aside, King Philip was still pretty belligerent to the Pope. In 1299, he welcomed the defeated Colonna cardinals to his court in France with open arms, deliberately thumbing his nose at Pope Boniface. He continued to extract money from the church lands in his territory, and those who were affected kept writing back to the Pope, come on, stop this guy from doing this. And Philip concluded a treaty with Albert of Habsburg, the new successor to the Holy Roman Emperor, when Pope Boniface specifically asked him not to do so. So the final break came when Pope Boniface created a new diocese in France and raised a monk who he knew to be good and capable to be the new diocesan bishop. Philip was not happy with the papal intervention in his country and had the new bishop arrested. Boniface went crazy. He summoned all the bishops of France to Rome to have a talking to, and then he wrote a very firm letter to Philip titled Asculta Fili, which is translated Listen Child, In the letter sent in December of 1301, Pope Boniface lectures the French king on his responsibilities and the primacy of the papacy over secular rulers. Philip responded by burning the original letter and publicly circulating a much more dramatic version, which caused indignation in the people of France that the pope would treat their king so imperiously. The king then convened at the Louvre Palace representatives of the bishops of France who declared Pope Boniface a heretic and then brought together the Estates General of France, the representatives of the nobles and the commoners, who all pledged their loyalty to the king. Pope Boniface then responded by upping the ante again by threatening to depose King Philip and writing his most famous papal bull, Unam Sanctum. In the bull, he claimed the highest possible prerogatives for the pope over secular society, going so far as to say, it is altogether necessary for salvation for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. His authority was absolute, both spiritually and physically, and the King of France could not flout it. The bull was a lofty declaration, but again, it fell flat when confronted with reality. The Pope could not back up his claims politically. He was losing the conflict with France. He tried to court the Austrian Habsburgs as a counterweight to the French, but he had little success there. And the King of France, meanwhile, had enlisted the help of the two Colonna Cardinals in exile in his court to move against the Pope. While the Pope was preparing to excommunicate the king, but before the bull of excommunication be spread, the King of France attacked. He called a convocation of bishops and nobles, again in the the Louvre, in 1303, and they promoted and declared the most scandalous rumors about the Pope, that he didn't actually believe in God, They had killed his predecessor, that he was impure in his relationships with men and women. Then on September 7th of 1303, an agent of the French king, Guillaume de Nogart, joined by the Kelowna cardinals and an army that they had raised, converged on the papal residence at Agnani. One of the clona's relatives, a man named Ciara Colonna, was leading the force and surrounded the papal residence. They made their demands clear. Boniface had to resign, reinstate the Kelowna cardinals, and give over all the paper treasure and be arrested. Boniface refused, and the palace was stormed. Ciara found his way onto the papal throne room, where he discovered Pope Boniface crowned in all his pontifical splendor and sitting on the throne by himself. Ciara said that he had to acquiesce or die. Pope Boniface responded, here is my neck, here is my head, in brief that he would rather die than submit. So Ciara, enraged, walked up to the Pope and slapped him across the face. The slap would go down in history as the famous slap of Agnani, and it caused an uproar in the people of Italy that the Pope would be treated like this. The French leader then took Boniface into custody, but after a couple of days, the populace of Agnani rescued the Pope and returned him to Rome. But he never really recovered from the episode. He was a broken man, and he was taken to fits of rage and tears of humiliation until he died on October 11, 1303. But this wouldn't be the end to this conflict with France. Things are going to take a very decidedly French turn in the next couple of episodes. Boniface VIII was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. and He was succeeded by Blessed Benedict XI, but we will talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to Abimus Popem. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.